I would say create balance in your own lives. Prioritize non-material happiness, but make sure that you really value everything that is material in your life. Because I think that if we value the things that we have, and we value the things that enter our life, then we're less likely to treat them with disregard and they'll ultimately be less likely to create waste. Hello and welcome to Saving Planet A. I'm your host, Gizem Eren. In this show, we learn together about sustainability, climate change, a circular economy, and jobs that help save the planet. My guest today is Anna Carneiro, a sustainability manager who campaigns for a circular materials economy. Born in the north of Portugal, in an area with a rich manufacturing industry, she was aware of the environmental toll and social inequality endemic to the making of goods from a young age. Anna graduated in product design from Central San Martins in 2015. She was disillusioned with how little was being done to solve our climate crisis and started pursuing a career at the intersection of design and circularity. To further her knowledge within the field of sustainability, she took the cradle-to-cradle design course from C2C Certified, achieving a silver certification on closed-loop design. Today, she works as sustainability manager in the fashion sector, collaborating closely with design and production teams, as well as manufacturers to change the industry for the better. Anna, welcome to Saving Planet A. Thank you so much, Gizem. It's lovely to be here with you. So, first of all, what does sustainability mean to you, Anna? This is such a wide scope question, but for me, I always go back to the original meaning of the word, to sustain something for an indefinite amount of time. I always think of sustainability as a balancing act, where all of the resources needed to sustain a product or process are in equilibrium and they can continue going for a very long time. And not only in terms of materials and energy expenditure, but also the social side. So if people are happy with what they do and if they will be happy to continue doing it for a very long time. In in everything that I do, I always get back to nature being our biggest teacher when it comes to achieving this kind of harmony and definitely our model of what sustainability looks like. And you work in the fashion industry. The fashion industry accounts for about 8 to 10% of global carbon emissions and nearly 20% of wastewater. And every second, the equivalent of a rubbish truckload of clothes is burnt or buried in landfill. So these statistics uh, sound pretty scary. What are, do you think, the biggest challenges on the road to a circular fashion industry? Yes, I know it's, it's definitely a, an industry that has a lot to answer for. Going into what you just mentioned, resource consumption and waste really do remain the biggest issues of the industry. We are seeing a lot of innovation in this space. A lot of companies, not only brands, but you know, manufacturing companies and technology companies that are looking to solve problems for the industry. There's a lot of innovation when it comes to materials, processes, a growing range of recycled fibers out there with low environmental impact. This doesn't actually solve our main problems of consumption and waste. Globally, too many clothes are being produced and consumers are purchasing at a frenetic pace at the moment, which in turn results in a large amount of waste and making clothes results in textile waste at many different levels of production. So there's actually a lot of resource consumption that goes not only into the making of all of the different 
things that go into our clothes. We think of the cotton, for example, but there isn't just cotton. There are all of the different dyes. There is all of the different resources. Water, as you mentioned, for example. There's a lot of water that goes into the processing of our fibers. There's a lot of waste happening at all of these different levels. So not only are we making clothes in a very inefficient process that has barely changed for a very long time. So for, for many years, the, the industrial process of making clothes has barely changed and has a very high rates of waste at pre-consumer level that you wouldn't usually see in other industries or areas of, of manufacture. But this is also hardly ever talked about. At the, at the core of this, we have a big recyclability issue because we've blended clothes and blended fibers in such a way that it's very difficult to recycle. To take them apart, you mean like the, the polymer from the cotton from, is that what you mean? Like to, to take them apart and recycle each of them? Yeah, exactly. So, for example, if you have, like you mentioned, like a natural fiber and a synthetic fiber, that makes it very, very difficult to recycle the offcuts. So even if the, even at a pre-consumer level in which you don't have a spoiled product, you have materials that are still of very high quality that haven't been contaminated in any way. But because of the mixes of the materials, it becomes very difficult to recycle those, those materials. And then on top of that, we have the big issue of overproduction um, and brands disposing of unsold garments, which are perfectly okay to be worn. Due to the poor quality of the clothes produced and quickly changing trends, we have consumers that are also disposing of clothes at an unprecedented pace, which fuels further consumption because a lot of the time people will think, oh, I've just gotten rid of a few things. Um, I could use, you know, a couple of new t-shirts or a couple of new tops. And to create a circular fashion industry, we really need to approach each step of production and consumption in a different way and address this issue of uh, a lack of circularity for, for our materials and for different resources. And it goes into so many different layers, even though into what you said of wastewater. Wastewater isn't just the wastewater at agricultural runoff, which I think a lot of people actually are starting to think of. When we think of the water that isn't properly cleaned, from the dye houses and the wash houses and therefore goes and creates contamination and pollution downstream instead of being recirculated within the factory, for example, and uh, reducing the consumption of water. Until all of these different issues are addressed, we are not going to see a truly circular fashion industry. Mm -hmm. so, so to explain what you said in, in layperson's terms, Factories, when producing garments, they use dyes and they contaminate and they use fresh water, clean water, and uh, during production of, let's say, a T-shirt. And that water gets, um, the dyes get put in the water, obviously, for example, if you're making a blue T-shirt. And then the wastewater, which is, in, especially in developing countries, just dumped back without any treatment in some cases. That wastewater goes back into our lakes, goes back into our rivers, and it has chemicals in it. And also, every time we wash that t-shirt, if there's plastic in the fiber, we have plastic microfibers entering our water bodies, entering our oceans or our, our seas, don't we? It continues at the consumer level, the, the 
effects of the chemicals that the factory uses to produce. Yes. And at the end of life, when you decide to get rid of, of the T-shirts, even when people are donating clothes, that still doesn't mean that it's not going to result in waste, doesn't mean that it's not going to end up in a landfill somewhere. Because at the moment, there is very little recycling of clothing. It's currently estimated that less than 1% of all clothes ever get recycled back into fibers. This means that for all of the different tons, like you mentioned, one truckload per second of clothes that are being thrown away and they are just going into either landfill or to be burned because there is no good solution of what to do with it. And even when we do have some recycling of clothes, we have not actual recycling. What we have is downcycling. So these materials are actually losing value when they go into processing because they are going into, for example, the stuffing in couches or something like this, which is a material considered to be significantly cheaper and of less value, not only in, in economical terms, but of less value than, than what it originally was. So we are currently unable to capture clothes, effectively recycle them and put them back into a materials economy, circular economy. When we are able to do it, it's still a somewhat inefficient process. I think that there's a lot of companies that are doing good processes when it comes to, to the collection of clothing and uh, working directly with, with recycling partners to ensure that clothes are recycled. I'm lucky enough to be working for one of them, but there's definitely a lot of progress that is needed when it comes to, to this. We need for different fabrics to be made, fabrics which can be effectively recycled. We need recycling processes that can ensure the quality of the final materials so that the materials aren't being downcycled. And then we also need more demand from companies, so from the brands and from consumers who are ultimately the people buying everything and who can inform the decisions that brands make to use more recycled fibers. And I think another very important thing to say here when we talk about recycled fibers um, and true circularity in fashion is... We need to look at keeping these materials in use within fashion or within textiles. So at the moment, the majority of recycled garments that people see out there, they are recycled polyester. And this recycled polyester is not coming from other recycled clothes that people have gotten rid of. These are actually coming from PT bottles and from, from plastic water bottles and, and soda bottles. And sometimes fishnets. Sometimes you can get some marine waste, for example, which is really interesting. Um, so that would usually be nylon. So if you're looking at recycled nylon, you are more likely to be solving a problem. When we are talking about recycled polyester, um, which are, which is usually coming from bottles, then we are actually taking a material that could be recycled back into bottles and putting it into clothes instead. The next time that the companies that make water bottles are looking for material, they'll have to produce new plastic instead of 
being able to use recycled content because this recycled content we're using into, into clothes because we can afford to pay a little bit more for the polyester that goes into clothes than what you would pay for the polyester that goes into bottles. Mm -hmm. So basically in circular economy, the highest value of a t-shirt is if it stays as a t-shirt throughout its life and then it gets recycled back into another piece of clothing rather than um, stuffing for a couch. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Especially because once it becomes stuffing for a couch, it will still end up in landfill. It's not going to recycle. There's no going back. If we can make a t-shirt, keep that t-shirt in use for as long as possible, make sure that at the end of, of life, if it's a natural material, that it can either be recycled or it can be composted, or if it's a synthetic material, if it can indeed be recycled and the material can be kept in use within clothes for as long as possible, that's how we're going to achieve circularity in fashion. So obviously we need to buy less, uh, way less than we think. But um, how else can we change the economic system as opposed to just asking people to buy less? So how much of the responsibility lies with the consumer and how much with the industry to come up with innovative solutions, including design, for designing for a circular economy? That is such a good question. We often talk of, of this balance between consumers and um, the brands and I, it's almost like consumers got handed the short stick because there's so much focus on consumers buying differently and consuming differently and the power that they have to make brands change. But I think that at least three quarters of re the responsibility lies with the industry. It lies with the people who've created the system and the people who are every day making the decisions of how clothes are designed and made and advertised. I'm actually going to take a step back and, and break it down into the fashion industry as design, production, advertising, and finally selling and consumption. In reality, the consumer is only at the consumption stage. And the people who work in the fashion industry, they can make changes at design, production, advertising, and, and the, the sales process. To see a different fashion industry, we need change at every step of this way. People love to say that fashion is a creative industry. I think that sometimes there's a lot of pushback in our industry of not creating these restrictions for our creatives, that there are a lot of constraints in a way when you are trying to do things in a more sustainable way. But to be honest, I feel like every truly great creative I've ever met thrives on constraints and that they can work wonderfully well with a given step, you know, like a given assessment of the situation. If they are told, these are the materials you can use, they can still make wonderful, wonderful things happen with those, or they can even come up with solutions for how we can make better versions of other materials. Really, the constraints in here are better materials with lower environmental impact, production in a way that respects people and the environment, and it doesn't abuse anyone, it doesn't cause pollution or waste. And then when it comes to, to the advertising side of things, which I think has a lot to answer for as well, we can promote a dozen different ways of selling one garment 
instead of promoting a dozen different garments, we can shift the focus from producing a lot to producing less, better quality, and promoting this in a way that it doesn't feel restrictive. It doesn't feel like you are basically letting go of options. We can gain so many options with a truly good wardrobe that doesn't necessarily take the fun out of fashion in any way. So maybe emphasize style rather than fashion. Absolutely. Yes, that's a great way of putting it. And finally, taking responsibility for the garments that are produced. So I think that brands really need to think more about how to give people the option of access instead of ownership and then collection and recycling at end of life. Like renting, also like secondhand. But renting, I think, has the potential to really change the way in which we look at the consumption of clothes. Mm -hmm. Let's get personal. Can you tell us a little bit about the environment you grew up in? We talked about um, you growing up in Portugal and the manufacturing industry there. So how has that shaped the person you've become? I grew up in the north of Portugal. I grew up in a small well, I usually say town. It's actually a city now, but it's um, the mentality is definitely more akin to a town. It's very quiet, um, north of Porto. And this is an area that, as, as you mentioned, has a lot of manufacturing industry. There is automotive, there is textiles, there is fashion as a whole, there's agriculture. I could really look around and see this happening just as normality. But I also grew up in this quiet family in a way. Both of my grandparents, both of my grandparents' houses had um, a little bit of land and they had animals and they farmed for food. It wasn't enough like to sell or anything, but it was enough for them to really grow a lot of the food that they ate and um, give to, you know, their neighbors and to their families. So for me, there was this big contrast in between small scale and the amount of care that you put into the things that you tend to every day, knowing that you are going to use them and consume them at the end. And the other side of very quick paced, industrialized manufacturing and basically this disconnect in between people knowing that Yes, they were trying to do their best in terms of creating a quality product, but at the end, they were never going to be the consumers of it. They weren't going to be the the people who would purchase those goods, which were often more expensive than what the workers could afford. You really start to see the difference in there and the disconnect in terms of, of the mentality and I was also able to see the, the environmental toll that that those more industrialized aspects of, of not just production, but uh, I guess production as, as well as food production we're having, the effects on people as well, this disconnect, this, this, this also physical toll that it had on, on people of doing those processes same day, every day. I didn't feel good about it. It, it, it always seemed to me like it wasn't right. There was something there that wasn't quite right. And I think I was too young to really put anything to it. And then at school, we had this subject that was natural sciences. 
basically what you have before you have physics and chemistry and all of the different subjects uh, that are more in-depth. So we just looked at nature in a, in a very wide scope and at different processes, at um, our bodies and at animals. And I remember that being my favorite subject at the time because it just felt like we had this wondrous world and we had so many different beautiful things that had been happening in the same way for millennia that we still didn't fully understand. So there was so much room for discovery. And I remember that really being my favorite, my favorite subject. And I just found it difficult to understand how is it that things had evolved naturally for such a long time. And then as humans, instead of learning from that which was around us, we'd always try to break free from it and create all of these different processes that were in shock with the natural world. In natural sciences, they used to tell us that, you know, there was, for example, the, the hole in the ozone layer, but that people were working to fix it. And there were different issues of pollution, but people were working to fix it. I remember thinking, okay, well, that's good. We've, like, we've created these problems, but we're working to fix them. And as I got older, I remember looking around being like, wait a second, I don't think we're actually doing that much to fix it. I don't think we're doing enough. Finally, I kind of figured out that if I wanted to really make a change, I couldn't just focus on the natural world and studying the natural world. I needed to actually take those learnings and put them into a place where they were needed, which was the more industrial and production side of things, so that the same principles that create balance and harmony in nature could be applied and achieve the same results to our own production processes, which is how I ended up deciding to study product design. I wanted to be at that somewhat decision-making level and inform how things were would be made, but also I wanted to to have that, I guess, almost engineering side to my learnings as well. I absolutely love product design as a subject. I love that it's a lot about problem solving at its core. And I think that it's a big shame that designers have been put in a role where they often are not given the scope to enact that, those changes. They, um, they are put in a, in a more aesthetic role that doesn't necessarily give them the um, opportunity to solve bigger problems, which is why eventually I got so very disillusioned with the industry as well and moved away from it. But that's basically how my whole upbringing ended up informing my, um, my view of the world and, and what I do today. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's, a, it's a great story. If we teach kids about sustainability and um, the career choices possible within the, the scope of sustainability from an early age, probably we would get more people like you. You sort of found your way here with what you learned at school and what you saw around you. So how do you think we could help other kids know what's possible within the scope of sustainability to help the, the environment? My question, I guess, is what, what do you wish you knew and your, your friends knew when you were setting out, basically? What else do you wish you knew is a better question. 
my whole answer to this is very rooted in in nature again. I think that there is, especially now, a disconnect in between how much theoretical knowledge people have of the natural world and how much they get to experience it. I think that it's very important to teach children not only about sustainability, but about nature and give them an appreciation of nature and of everything that that exists in our planet, because that's how you come to really care about it and want to protect it. And that's how you can respect it enough that you can learn from it. I don't think that it's good to label different career choices as either sustainable or unsustainable, because I think you can be passionate about any industry or any type of making or any given role that people play in our wider economy. If you have enough of an appreciation for natural processes and enough of an understanding of what is sustainable, you can still go into those roles that we don't think of as connected to sustainability and make changes that will result in more sustainable outcomes. And we need for that to happen. So we need for this to be a widespread knowledge and appreciation and respect that that we take with us anywhere we go. That's a very good point. I think that the main thing to to answer what did I wish I knew earlier on and what did I what do I wish that my colleagues knew and more people understood it's the interconnectedness of everything in our planet because small changes good or bad can have large impacts that are out of our sight and without a good understanding of how of how everything is connected. We cannot begin to understand those consequences. And if we can understand the consequences, we can also use them as levers for change, for positive change. We can make small actions. We can have small actions that will ultimately have a much wider impact. This is in everything. This isn't just in our professional careers, regardless of the field that we are on. This is as people in our everyday lives as well. A much wider knowledge of nature, of processes in our natural world, of how everything in our planet works and how everyone in our planet is connected. That's how we will ultimately make the decisions that support a sustainable existence. I don't even want to talk about sustainable growth because I don't necessarily see that as a goal. I think that you don't look at nature and see growth per se. You see balance. You see some things that die and others that are born. You see shifting patterns, change, and definitely you see things evolving, but you don't necessarily see things growing just for the sake of everything has a purpose. And I think that the more in touch with this idea we can be, then the more purpose we will also find. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You've uh, explained it very well. Definitely focusing on regeneration rather than growth for the sake of growth is what I take from what you said. So Anna, can you tell us about a time when things didn't go your way? It can be anything. It can be early years when you're studying or your current profession now. 
Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different things that come to mind, but I think that I mostly remember how I struggled when I finished my university degree. So I moved to London. I studied at a good university. I studied product design and we were almost sold on this idea that you study, you're at a good university. When you finish, you'll get offered a job. As I went through my three years of university, I started realizing that maybe it wasn't going to be quite as easy as that. But mostly when when the degree was coming to an end, that's when it really hit me that not only was it going to be difficult because the market wasn't everything that I had expected it to be, but also because the, the industry was different from my ideal. I remember really struggling at the time that I was going through my first few interviews. I graduated. I put my portfolio out there. I applied for a number of of roles. I was going to interviews. And first thing that strikes me when I look back is that every single time I went through an interview, I was interviewed by a man. The The second thing that strikes me is that every single time The questions ended up going in the direction of what the company was like and not in terms of values as much as culture. Honestly, so many times I was asked about how I was going to fit in and if I was, um, you know, keen to go to the pub with them. (laughs) And at the time, I just remember being like, what does this have to do with my ability to do a good job? What are you talking about? It really felt like an industry that was, I guess, in in some ways out of touch with the modern times. And um, one of the the things that ended up happening was that the majority of women that studied with me got jobs that weren't as product designers. They got jobs in related industries or in consulting somehow, but not as actual designers. I remember at the time really struggling with the fact that I had studied for three years to go into that role and into that industry. And then the more I got to learn about it right at the end, the more disillusioned I became and the more I started questioning whether that's what I actually wanted to do. It was a very, at the time, difficult stage. But at the same time, I'm glad that I didn't accept things at face value and I'm glad that I didn't just... You know, I didn't adapt to the industry. I I always tried to to stand by my own values and um, go and find what my place would be instead of trying to, um, I guess, fit them all. Yeah. So you carved a new way, basically, didn't you? Yeah, I ended up basically going into smaller roles. I worked as a consultant. I put more and more effort into studying about sustainability and circular economy because I really wanted to work within design, but at the circular economy, within a circular economy framework. When I looked at what the companies were doing, I still didn't think that's just good enough. So I thought if I have different ideas of how things should be done, I need to learn more about this so that I can solidify those ideas and then share them with others with confidence. And that ended up being the thread that guided my my path. Mm-hmm. So you followed what you were interested in, in, in terms of further learning, and that helped you 
in your new path. Yes, absolutely. And I think the main piece of advice that nowadays I give to others who find themselves in similar situations or who are looking to learn more is that learning more doesn't just mean going to university. Learning more isn't just about courses and degrees. Learning more is really about having a spirit of curiosity in everyday life and sometimes just knocking on the door. You know, if you're curious about a process and you have the chance to go into a factory, knock on their door or, you know, in today's terms, this could mean send them an email, request access, ask if, you know, if you show up at a certain hour, if someone can give you a tour of the factory or if you want to learn more about different farming practices or about different whatever the industry might be try and get close to it and cultivate curiosity and and take away your own learnings learn from what you see and not just from what's in books or from what you learn from others because I think that ultimately this is how you end up with experience and knowledge that can be applied in specific circumstances and isn't, you know, from a book written 20 years ago on the other side of the world. Mm, That's a great tip. That's a great tip, Anna. So I'll now move on to my final questions. First one is, what's giving you hope right now? And the second one is, what is your best tip for saving planet A? Amazing questions. So I'm going to treat these as quick fire. What's giving me hope right now? The tension on biodiversity crisis and the amount of work that's being done to start mitigate this. The quick growth of uh, meat-free diets, to be honest, because it has such an outsized impact into the world. And also the widespread support from young generations for mitigation. I I think that it's so important that those borders, physical and and otherwise, are being eroded and that there's so so much support for mitigation strategies, not just from countries, but also by companies. In terms of my best tip for saving planet A, I would say create balance in your own lives. Prioritize non-material happiness, but make sure that you really value everything that is material in your life. Because I think that if we value the things that we have and we value the things that enter our life, then we're less likely to treat them with disregard and they'll ultimately be less likely to create waste. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Great answer. Great answers to both. (laughs) Anna, thank you so much for being my guest on this episode. It was a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Gizem. It's been my pleasure. Such a nice conversation. And it's it's really good sometimes to stop and and take note of of everything that we do. And I'm really looking forward to listening to all the other episodes as well. If you enjoyed this episode of Saving Planet A, I'd really appreciate it if you comment and subscribe so that other people can know that we exist. Thank you again for listening. 